Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. To begin immediately, we'll jump right into a couple of passages of Scripture that I'd like to share with you. Isaiah chapter 9, oh my, I've written songs from this and meditated on it, and I just absolutely love it. Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah 9, we're going to begin at verse 2. This passage of Scripture through the lips of the prophet Isaiah uh, becomes a projection forward to the birth of Christ. And ironically, it uses to frame it a story from earlier in Israel's history, the story of Gideon and his battle with the Midianites. And it references some of the terms of that threat and looming engagement where, in fact, the people of God became miraculously victorious. But listen to the language just in simplicity and forthrightness, because this passage would describe the environment into which a savior would come. And notice the opening words, the people who walk in darkness. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, watch this, watch this. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. Can you see those words? I know the font may be a little small. They will be glad in your presence as with. Would everybody say as with? I'm going to say it a couple more times. Come on, say it with me. As with, one more time, as with. I love that because it said, you see, if you went back and studied the story of Gideon, you'll find out the Midianites would come in at harvest time and they would steal the harvest. How is it possible to have the joy of the harvest without holding it physically in my hand? Is it possible for God to create a gladness of heart in anticipation of a a harvest of something that is something has grown, born fruit, and we hold the fruit in our hand? Is it possible to bring that gladness before the harvest ever gets there? And I believe the answer is yes, and that is at the heart of the coming of the Messiah this light that would shine. But it says, you shall be glad, they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. Boy, there's a loaded there thing that just to do an entire series, which I have done in the past year, uh, past years, about the presence of God before I hold the substance. And it was just the presence of God. Can it sustain me until there comes a realization? It says, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. Now, if I were to start over and reread this and say, let's read this through the lens of a 2020 pandemic year. The reason that we titled the end of between, the reason we're coming to it again is I thought, boy, if if there's ever a year that I want to be a between and I want it to end, I want 2020 to be that between and I want it to end Everybody shout amen. That was encouraging. Okay. Uh, You shall break the yoke of their burden. Anybody feel that way this year? And the staff on their shoulders. That was being beaten like a, uh, what someone would beat an animal and guide it. Okay. Uh, And the intimation is it makes them go in directions they wouldn't otherwise go. Everyone look at me. I, I, I tried to purpose not to do what I'm doing right now, but Lord help me here. 
How many have ever felt like that in 2020, like you're being beaten and driven in a direction you would otherwise not plan to go, powerless, choiceless, okay, I could go on and on. The rod of the oppressor, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors as at the battle of Midian. Go back to Judges 6, 7, and 8. Read that story. It's fascinating, okay? For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Need to go back and read that story. Here it comes, verse 6. Out of nowhere this happens. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Uh, Everyone look at me. How many here need to read that right now? You don't need to shout me down and say amen. When we're looking for all things going on in the government and the craziness and whatever, and I'm going to hit more on the fact how Christians are more informed by darkness than they are purveyors of light, we're going to get to that. Boy, do we need this message right now. The government of anything in finality for those of us in the kingdom rests on his shoulders, not in Washington. Say amen. Okay. The government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And he will be the purveyor of a limited kingdom. Do you see the words there? See, some are looking or whatever, and that's okay. Um, But now I want you to look, okay? There will be no end to the increase of government or peace. I love this. There will be no increase to, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice from then on forevermore. It's rephrased in the New Testament, and his kingdom, that is his rule, authority, and dominion, will have no end. It will have no end. What does that mean? No limitations. No limitations. But how does all that work out? Okay. Now, if I were to, let's jump ahead to the gospel of John chapter one and begin to see when Isaiah said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Let's look at the resolution of that in John chapter 1. I love this. In the beginning was the word. This is a hymn, if you will, uh, that is written here but sung a hymn that, that John would include that describes just the, the whole interdimensional exchange of God coming among us, which is inconceivable, okay? Okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Now, the term Word here is L-O-G-O-S. Now, listen to me. If you read some other thought-for-thought translations, they will go ahead and say it's Jesus, the Son of God. But the word L-O-G-O-S, I never forget reading this definition 35 or 40 years ago. Logos means the embodying idea or concept of a thing. The embodying idea or concept of a thing. In other words, if I was to say uh, cafe or bistro table, if you had seen a bistro table like this, it would embody the idea or concept, and you would sort of have, oh, I know what you're talking about, okay? If I were to say ugly Christmas sweater. You would have, if you had seen the embodying idea or concept, you would know what that means. 
So when it starts off here, it says, in the beginning was the embodying idea or concept. Keep going. Of what? Hang on. And the embodying idea or concept was with God, and the embodying idea or concept was God. Now, verse 2 starts with a pronoun. If it's not clear enough, he, Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Clear enough, isn't it? In him was life, and the life was, here it comes, in him was life, and this life was the light of men, and is the light of men. If you have received Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that life that is in you is a light that will begin to illuminate darkness, and that is an important concept for us to understand. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend. It means apprehend or restrained. It can mean comprehend as well. But I want you to think of this declaration in terms of engaging forces of spiritual darkness. That when the light shined in the world, all of the forces of hell said, this makes absolutely no sense. And, and not only did it not make sense, they couldn't restrain him. They couldn't keep him. What I want to assert to you today is that God never said that he would banish or vanquish darkness. He said he simply would come and be a light inside you. God never said that he would exterminate the darkness. He said he would bring light. That is important because is it possible for us to have the light of the world in us when there is so much darkness around us? And the answer is yes, absolutely yes. Now, I'm going to try and skip past a bunch of scripture here. <clears throat> Let me see where I need to go. At the birth of Christ, listen, at the birth of Christ, according to Isaiah and the prophet, the power of darkness is the dominating force. I'm going to include something I was going to hold off until next week. Let me see if I have it. worth the wait. Hang on. I promise. <clears throat> she was a beautiful, young, gifted, and talented vocalist who was now a single mom raising two children alone, the result of two bad marriages that had been filled with abuse, pain, and disillusionment. She had chosen to give herself to the priority of pouring into the gifts of her two children. Her own gifts of music and singing would just have to wait. She spoke through tear-filled eyes and a quivering voice, quote, I never anticipated my life would turn out this way, end quote. She was only 25 years old and already had lived what seemed to be a lifetime of pain. This was all there was, or so she believed. That is not another story, that's a story of, that's a story of lives we know. She found, like so many of us, what she had hoped was an in-between had become the new normal. In-betweens are what we believe to be those stages between what was and what would be. But when in-between lasts so long, 
we subconsciously accept it as our new forever. So many of us share this reality. I've just thought of these reports this week. Listen, this reality, even though the journey there is very different, it comes in such forms as the sickness where the initial diagnosis of acute and curable deteriorated into chronic and manageable. The aftermath of choices and decisions that have created inescapable and dictating circumstances, or death, divorce, disease, despair, that seems to be a sustained reality, suspending the realization of hope, a marriage stuck in between, a career path that seems to be forever on hold. With boldness, even though I'm seeking an intimate environment, I want to again give a commercial for preaching, praying, and singing towards New Year's Eve. In that service, I didn't finish saying, I'm glad I came back to this, we're going to pray for people who are sick. That seems like that sickness has become a forever. We're just going to pray that that forever will become a between. Yes. And that between has been canceled yes. by the birth and death yes. of our Lord and Savior, yes. Jesus Christ. We're going to pray for marriages that are stuck in between. That it seems like you're stuck for one or two or five or ten years but it is we leave 2020 that what seems to be a forever reality and how we may relate to each other, suddenly there's a visitation of the Holy Spirit and we do spirit of the living God. We only want to hear your voice. We're going to pray for the end of betweens in that service. We're going to pray for people. And I am so looking forward to that. We're going to continue to preach toward that reality. 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, God moved on the heart of the prophet Isaiah to write in great details about the circumstances into which a Savior would be born. He would not write just to social concerns or prevailing realities. After all, they were people of promise. He would write of a time that was incredibly dark and listen to the terms which I've already read to you. Those dark times would come as a result of their own disobedience for generations. How many know that's a tough one to escape when you think your in-between that's become forever is your own fault, you made the choices, you made it happen, is there no end to that? And it's one thing for it to last a day, a month, or for 12 months of 2020. It's another thing for it to last 600 years, add on top of that the 400-year intertestamental period, it's a phrase that means from the end of the writing of Malachi to the coming of the Savior was about 400 years, and allegedly God was silent, no prophetic voices, no anything. 600 years, 400 of those years, silent night was indeed the Christmas carol describing their new forever. But then there would come a night when the night would no longer be silent. There would come a night when angels would break through and burst through, for unto us, as Isaiah said, a savior is born, a child, a son is given, and the possibilities that will come with him and through him are immeasurable. This morning as I wrestled back and forth and I began outlining this, I want to say certain things to you that, <clears throat> first of all, that, that are worth remembering. The manger is where the light is born, but I want us to hold in tension the reality the manger is where light is born. 
but the cross is where darkness dies. Would you say that with me? uh, The manger is where light, you can say birthed or born. Say that with me. The manger is where light is birthed. The cross is where darkness dies. Are you aware that coming into this, now here's the scripture to go with this, Isaiah 9, darkness, John chapter 3, two chapters after chapter 1, Jesus would be having a discussion with a religious philosopher, Nicodemus, and he would explain. He said the world lives in darkness and you've lived in it for so long that there's a spiritual Stockholm syndrome. You love it. I came and shine light and they run for darkness. They don't get it. But the light is going to shine. The light shined in darkness. I love that. If you were to continue reading, there's an interesting passage. We've studied a couple of Easter's regarding Peter, the apostle. And I'm always careful to describe because there are those of you here that, and, and online that are, are new to faith. In Luke chapter 22, there's an encounter with Jesus and Peter where he says, I've prayed for you that you would not fail. Everybody say fail. That's the word, the identical word from which we get eclipse. When I read that word, and by the way, it only appears two times in the New Testament. When I read that word, I thought, okay, it's an exception or 2,000 years of, of linguistic evolution or deterioration. We've sort of missed the meaning. It meant something else until you go to Luke chapter 23, verse 41, the very next chapter. And Jesus is on the cross, and it says, as he hung there, the sky was darkened, the sun was obscured for about three hours. It's the same word, eclipse. Peter, interestingly enough, is one who would write uniquely. Johnny, I've always loved this, that Peter writes from experience that we forget. In the book, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, this is the same God who called me out of darkness and into his light. You see, Peter would have an eclipse of stepping into darkness. I want to ask this question. Are there any children of God here this morning who have accepted Christ as Savior? And you can remember that moment that you stepped out of darkness into light, but you've had stupid moments of passing insanity where you've done something and all of a sudden there's that darkness. Can I tell you, here's the good news when, the main, when Christ was born in the manger and light shined in darkness, it began to reveal the limitation of what had been an entirely dominating force. And on the cross, watch, up until the cross, darkness dominated as the state of existence. But on the cross, I believe that that eclipse is included for this reason. It lasted three hours. And it makes a statement. It says hell can take its best shot up to and including an attempt to kill the Redeemer, the rescuing Messiah for mankind. But I want to tell you that after I got here, this is Jesus speaking, after I came, darkness will no longer be a state of existent reality. At best for the child of God, it'll be a passing moment. What do you say your next moment of of, of darkness? You don't retreat to the mentality that just says, Oh, well, I'm a person of darkness. I guess that's who I am. You are not. You are a child of God. And I'll go ahead and say this. Give it about three hours and wait for it to pass. Give it some times to get into the presence of God and say, Lord, let that light shine on my darkness and my stupidity and that which separates us. It's not an accident in Luke 23 how it says in that same sentence without a sentence or punctuation break. It says this, it says that the sun was obscured and the veil was torn. 
God said, I'm letting, I'm, I'm, I want you to know that darkness is a passing reality and I'm letting the light out from the Holy of Holies to shine in to the darkness of your life. That veil that separated mankind, only the high priest that could go in. And now Hebrews says, no, every, each and every one of you come boldly to the throne of grace where you can obtain mercy. Beloved, I want to give you a picture of the heart of God working in the, in the name of Jesus, okay? Um, oh, goodness. This next, put this, at, if you would, Amanda, the manger is where light shines into a kingdom of darkness. The cross is where darkness is consumed by a kingdom of light. Would you read that and say that with me? We need to understand the bookends of the manger and the cross. The manger is where light shines into a kingdom of darkness. The cross is where darkness is consumed by a kingdom of light. You say, well, has that been vanquished? No, but it started. It's the already not yet we talk about, the entry of the kingdom of God crowding its way into, in, into this reality. Now, at the birth of Christ, the power of darkness, I just said this to you, is the dominating force that always has been. On the cross, the force of darkness is reduced to a passing moment. Come on, somebody. How many here remember the time you said yes to Jesus Christ for the first time? And you stepped out of darkness. And those moments we have where we fail or fall down and it feels like, oh crud, I've gone right back to darkness. No siree, you're a child of God. You may have a momentary passing eclipse of that light, but it's going to pass. It's going to pass when you step up and say, Father, I get it that I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've messed up. I need your light to shine on me. God says, great, that's good. Here it is. You're back in the light again. There's one other uh, thing I want to mention about the bookends. Without the manger, get this please, and especially those of you students of Scripture and who teach as well, because I believe in this phrase, redemptive theology is just wrapped up. Without the manger, the cross has no power. Without the cross, the manger has no purpose. Would you say that with me, please? Without the manger, the cross has no power. Say that with me. Let me tell you why. You can say, well, that's great. Sounds catchy. By the way, this week, there were a couple of times on a pastor's forum that I administrate where someone had written something, and um, a pastor had written something, and I said, and I try to be affirming to the guys. I said, you know, this is one of those moments where the the catchiness of a phrase grabs our attention and we go, wow, hmm, that's catchy, you know? Until you stop and think on it a bit and then maybe it's catchy, but it really doesn't have the substance it needs to have. I, I, this is not just a catchy statement. If the Son of God, the only begotten, full of grace and truth, is not the one in the manger, then all you had was a rebel or a zealot die on the cross. And it, there's no redemption. If the manger is not God, then the cross has no power. Without the cross, the manger has no purpose. Without the cross, God came and lived and had a nice weekend here on the planet and took off. But he didn't just come and live and do miracles. He died to vanquish darkness and to provide us the forever light that will shine in our heart. Now... Verse 9, 
There was a true light, John chapter 1. Back to John chapter 1. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, I want to end with this right here because this is going to be an ongoing sort of Christmas bedtime story, if you will. Here's what we need to get. We live in, we're going to walk out of here this morning and the darkness, if you will, of uncertain times, a pandemic, political upheaval, um, the threat of poverty due to, I'm using extreme terms, due to economic uh, prevailing realities of economics. All of that's out there. and You know, what do we do? And I've got to tell you, I'm not standing here with pretend language. I read the news. I study things. I'm a, quote, I want to know type person. So I do. But I'm not going to come here and preach the substance and findings of the world. I'm going to preach the reality of a Savior who is more than the constant through whatever seasons of darkness and uncertainty that may be presented. Here's the thing. I want to say it again. God never said he would vanquish the darkness. He said he would be a light within us. That doesn't mean there won't be darkness around us. But if you would, I want to make sure no one's moving. Please, uh, uh, I'm going to wait so that, and there's a reason because I don't want anybody to fall down. Okay, don't be moving. Amanda, do that right now if you would. Okay. Now, you got a little ambient light from the projector, so maybe you could make your way around. But having stood in the light, this brand new baptism of darkness, it's confident you can't see me, okay? And if I ask you to just sort of get up and run for the door, if we didn't have these aisle marker lights, there's no doubt that we'd have a lot of catastrophe, groaning, crying, screaming, and falling down. But guess what? I have a flashlight. It's not a big flashlight. It's just a little flashlight. But if we were in a race to the back door, see, I could even pick out Dylan, Mason, Johnny DeLashman, or some of these young guys from True Purpose and say, I'll race you to the back door, but you don't get the use of my flashlight. I'm going to beat them there every time. That's because I have a light. Now, this flashlight doesn't make the darkness go away but allows me to see what's in it and how to navigate around it. I want you to note the language of John chapter 1, verse 4. Amanda, you can bring the lights back up now. The life was the light of the world, and this light was in every man. Light of the world. You stepped out in the darkness. Open my eyes and let me see. I just want to ask this simple question at the close of Christmas story in between part one. How many are sitting here this morning and the darkness is just so absolutely looming that you're wondering, Oh my goodness, how can I navigate through this reality? I'm here to bring you the good news. That the light came to live in you. Did you know in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 12, I think. 
along with a reference in Daniel and another of the prophets, it speaks of the description of Jesus. Now remember, they're using old language, but John says, I looked at his eyes and his eyes were like torches. They didn't have flashlights. Okay, Man, I should have brought two flashlights. I just hit that. He said he looked at John and John looked at him and he said, Isn't it wonderful to know that our Savior doesn't need a flashlight to determine where he needs to go? That he says he has built-in flashlights. I want you to please build that bridge. He's referring to the power to illuminate and the power, the fact that God has flashlights, contemporary language. See, torches by night, that's what they would use to see. This, please get me. Listen, this is not representing fire as sort of the consuming power of holiness. It is representing that as illuminating. It is why the people around you in moments like this, people of darkness, will look at some of the decisions you make about continuing to worship. I don't mean just come to a building, but worshiping a God, making life decisions and choices that are inconsistent. Why? Because I'm not informed by the darkness. I look into it because the light of the world lives in me and I can see how to navigate through it. And I want to ask this one question. You don't have to raise your hand. Who's standing in a moment or facing an issue of darkness where, again, prevailing economy, sickness, reality, Lord, I don't know what's on the other side. The good news is, again, they didn't have flashlights, but it promised that the word of God would be a lamp. And as you've no doubt heard taught many times, it wasn't a Q-beam that could shine 500 yards down our path. I love flashlights. My wife will tell you that I'm a flashlight addict. I have... 10 or 12 around the house. And if somebody texts me and says, well, I've got 15, then I'll go buy five more this week and I'll do you. I love flashlights. I can tell you about lumens, focusability. Why? I don't just buy any flashlight. I buy specific flashlights. And I'm fascinated with LED technology that has increased the ability to shine further and the battery lasts longer. I love that stuff. I just love walking out at the night. In the kitchen, I have two flashlights. And because I get up two or three times a night and eat what is, never, what is not hidden from me, I will often step out on the front porch because I live out on 10 acres and off the river and we've lived there for 13 years and I love it. There's animals and stuff out there and I love just coming out there and shining the flashlight to see what creatures are, are living in the moment of nocturnal embrace. Usually skunks. Well, there's a sermon there, isn't there? I love that. The flashlight doesn't make my darkness go away but enables me to see what's in it. Beloved, light of the world, you stepped into my darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. How many are here this morning? You're saying, Father, ooh, I need flashlight eyes. I need that ability. I need to be reminded that I am not informed by what I read on Facebook, Instagram, 
Twitter or whatever the newer ones are that they're now moving to to avoid censoring. I love all of that stuff. I don't go there for that. I'm not being spiritual. If you are not going to the Word of God as often as you're going to Facebook, all you're going to do is bump your head in the middle of the night. All you're going to do is run into stuff time after time and scream and holler, put band-aids on your spiritual shins and face. My wife will frequently move articles and leave them in places in the bedroom that they weren't and they're not. I find them, usually by collision, and I usually have the marks to prove it. Who can turn to someone here right now and say, yeah, man, I got the scars to prove that it's not smart to run in the dark. (laughs) Father, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our eyes and that we would know that we are your people. Bow your heads right now, please. And the people I want to raise your hand in agreement with me are those who are here this morning. (laughs) Are those that are here this morning. That you're standing in a, a dark situation. Now watch how all this wonderful scriptural poetry overlaps. That it said the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary and she would conceive physically, but she would also understand and see how it was she would conceive because that would become her story. Yeah, I got this baby by the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for that type of clarity that comes by reason of the Holy Spirit overshadowing you this morning. Father, may we be reminded that the light of the world lives in us. You didn't promise the darkness would go away. You promised that we could navigate through it because we would be the light in that darkness. (laughs) Hallelujah. Everyone look at me. Just another light verse came to me. Zacharias, who we'll talk about next week or the week after, in Luke chapter 1, would be the father of John the Baptist. He would have, he's a priest who would have an encounter with an angel. He would mess that up, and the angel would look and say, you're not going to speak for nine months until the child's born. So he couldn't speak. And then after the child is born, he speaks and there bursts out of his mouth this wonderful thing. I've always read, I read it every year and I laugh because I believe when he speaks, I believe he had been thinking for nine months, the moment I can talk, the moment I can talk, I'm gonna get it right. I'm gonna say what I should have said when the angel showed up and said, you're gonna have a child at 85 years old. Instead of saying, I'm 85 years old, see, nine months later, when John the Baptist was born, and once again he could speak, he's like, wait. And suddenly it happens. By the way, you want this prayer? Here's here's a prayer. I'm just going to ask you if you want it. it, This is a model prayer. Lord, if I'm unprepared to be informed primarily by your word above the world, Just strike me mute like you did Zacharias. You know, there's some of us here that would do well to have a season of being mute. Just keep your mouth shut. 
That includes Facebook too. Man, I just had to go there, you know. Just, just keep your mouth shut. And, and wait until God gives you the words. Wait, you know, so for nine months, he's going, mm, 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 mm. You know, and so finally when that ninth month, he's born and he goes, blessed be the Lord God. That's what comes out of his mouth. So when the next incredible thing happens to you, like a promise of God shows up, like Gabriel showing up and saying, Zacharias, you're going to have a baby boy. The response is, blessed be the Lord God. How many are ready for that? Okay. Yeah, we need that. We need to get ready for that moment because I believe we're going to see them in this season. You're going to see what others don't. You're going to make decisions because you have the ability to look into darkness. People around you who still live in it, dominated by it, won't understand your decisions, your choices, your priorities or principles or your values and why you live differently or act differently. That's okay. You're looking into the darkness. They're dominated by it. We're those that should not simply reflect the darkness around it but shine a light. God lives in us and through us and illuminates a path that we can walk. I believe that. We need that reminder. So Father, remind each of us today in the name of Jesus. You know, I would take a minute here and ask you just to have a little season of confession to say, here's where I've been dominated by darkness. Here's where I've allowed darkness to inform me rather than shining into it, but through the light that lives in me. I hope that's coming to you today. Now bow your heads again. Again, those of you, don't just, don't, not everybody lift your hand. Those of you that have a darkness that's just encroaching right now and you need the ability to see into it by the Spirit of God, just raise your hand, keep your heads down. Amen. Amen in the name of Jesus. Father, allow them to peer in and see the steps and the path forward. Hallelujah. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would everyone stand? Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.